It is often said that Christianity is interested only in another world, but who isn't? Even those who haven't the slightest interest in heaven desire greatly to see a different world down here. It is what the dreams of utopia are all about. It is what the aspirations of an age of science are all about. It is the hope of everyone who is capable of a dream. For this world is acquainted with trouble and sorrow and pain. This is a land of death. Philip of Macedon said, ask his servant every morning to come into his breakfast chamber and announce to him, Sir, today you may die. That might be a little hard on the breakfast digestion, but you and I don't have to have somebody to remind us of that. The newspapers shout it to us every morning, the reminder that we'll soon die and as water spilt upon the ground, never shall it be gathered up again. Is it any wonder that Christianity is interested in another world. On the Isle of Patmos, John was sad and lonely. It was a dark time for him and a tragic hour. But God cracked the door of heaven just a little bit and allowed him for a while just to see the ultimate victory of God. And he saw a new heaven and a new earth, not just new in appearance, but new in kind, something drastically different from this world of darkness in which he lived. He saw heaven, and in magnificent words he described what it would be like, our future home. First of all, heaven is a perfect place prepared by a perfect God. In the 21st chapter, verse 16, it says that the city is four square, and the distance is 12,000 furlongs. That means that if you took a, that heaven is like an area of land that would be comparable to one around which you would draw a line like this from Galveston, Texas to, to Jacksonville, Florida to New York City to St. Paul, Minnesota and back to Galveston, Texas, if you took that literally. But I'm not sure that John is describing using terms that are to be taken literally. For the book of Revelation is a book that's highly symbolical and the Jews talked in symbols. The number 12 to the Jew was a sacred number. There were 12 tribes. There were 12 spies sent in to spy out the land. There were 12 disciples. The number 10 to the Jew was a completed number. There are 12 fingers on a man's hand, 12 toes on his feet. The number three to the Jew was divine, so that any combination of tens is a number that symbolizes ultimate perfection. The number 10 times 10 times 10 is the number 1,000. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> what did I say wrong? Tw 12 fingers on a man's hand? Ten fingers on a man's hand. No wonder you're laughing at me. Ten toes on a man's foot if he's complete. And the number three to the Jew is a number that symbolizes the divine so that when you take the number ten and you raise it to the third power, ten times ten times ten, 
is, a, is the number thousand which symbolizes ultimate completion, finished perfection. It's the most perfect sacred number you can find in the scripture. It is a place of perfect beauty. The Bible says that the streets are gold. That suggests that the things that are most important to man down here, the things to which men give their lives are so insignificant in heaven, they're used in the paving of the streets. One of the basic principles of biblical interpretation is to understand that the Bible was written at a certain time to a certain people to meet a certain need. So you know that the book of Revelation was written to people who were exiled. Domitian was the Roman emperor. And the Christians, when they were Christians, lost everything they had to the Romans. Oh, they could have it back if they denied the Lord, but they didn't. And so everything they worked their lives in their lives to obtain was taken from them and they were removed into exile and they lived in abject poverty while at the same time the Romans lived in wasteful luxury. Josephus said that Domitian once threw a banquet and the main course of the banquet was pheasant tongue and he spent a million dollars on one meal. Seneca Nero's teacher said that his women often wore two or three estates dangling from their ears. So while they lived in wasteful luxury and wealth, the Christian lived in abject poverty because of his Christian faith. He lost everything he had. And so John saying, inspired by God in the Spirit on the Lord's day, is saying, take heart, you believers, for God is preparing a place for you that is so finished in its perfection, so complete in its completion, and so glorious in its beauty, that even that which men will sell their souls to obtain is so insignificant, it'll be walked on on the streets of heaven. Can you imagine what it was like when Columbus saw for the first time that beautiful island in the Caribbean? When he set sail from Spain, there was the, the feeling, there was the story, there was the fear that he would one day just sail over the edge of the ocean and be lost. And after a long journey, arduous journey, one day they spotted for the first time some land, a beautiful island in the Caribbean, and Columbus wrote about it like this. It was the most beautiful island that eyes ever beheld. When I came to that cape, I felt, a, I smelled a fragrance from the flowers and the trees of the land that it was the sweetest thing in the world. The singing of the birds was such that I thought no one would ever depart thence. Can you imagine what it's going to be like after the long and arduous journey of life and we storm the gates of glory and we see for the first time that breathtaking place that God has prepared for us I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it, has it entered the mind of man to comprehend the glory of the things God has prepared for his people. I remember the first time I traveled in the Northwest, leaving West Texas that's dry and barren, no trees. I drove with a friend of mine from Spokane to Wenatchee, Washington, the, the apple capital of the world, and we crossed the Cascades and started down on the Columbia River. Some of you have seen that. It was just about sunset, 
and the sun was dying in the west in a blaze of glory. It was in November, and thousands, yea, millions of ducks were just hovering over that beautiful river in the sunset in the Cascades in central Washington, and I literally lost my breath in the beauty of it. I thought I've never seen anything as beautiful as that. And I stood one day and looked through the plate glass window at bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, my firstborn. And I thought to myself, if I live to be a thousand, I will never see anything as beautiful as that. But when we storm the gates of glory and we see that place God has prepared for us in its breathtaking beauty, we will say, I've never seen anything that can equal this. It's a place of perfect protection. The scripture says that there are 12 gates. There's that sacred number again. That means that nobody's there except those who are meant to be there. And there are three gates on each wall, the divine number. The entrance into heaven is a divine entrance. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And there are 12 foundations on the walls, that sacred number again, and the walls are there for protection. For God wants you to have a place where you'll never be afraid again. For God has established and is set about in this world, establishing for us the absence, the elimination of fear. And so that term, fear not, appears over 70 times in the Scripture. I preached this sermon in Wenatchee Revival, and after the service a young woman came up to me, and she was white as a sheet. She said, I'll be so glad when there is a place of no fear. She said, about two years ago, a man broke in my apartment. I was a single girl living in Seattle. A man broke into my apartment, and she began to sob. He took me away, and for about a week, he abused me and assaulted me and held me hostage until the authorities broke down the door and killed him in a hail of fire, gunfire. And she said... Is it true that there is a place where I'll never have to be afraid? I have never known, she said, an hour since that day absent of fear. And I said, one day you will. It's a place of no separation and parting. The text said, and there'll be no more sea. To John standing on the Isle of Patmos, that Mediterranean sea swirling around him was a constant reminder of the separation from the one he loved the most, his church and his family. And even sometimes it seemed that he was separated from God. For there came a day when Domitian and his henchmen came bursting into the homes of the Christians and took them away. Husbands were separated from wives and parents were separated from little children like we saw this morning. Families were separated from one another and churches were violated and abused. And so every day he stood there and watched the sea swirl around him and recognized the separation. And God speaking to him in the Spirit said, John, there's coming a day when there'll be no separation, no parting. God will be among you. 
and he'll be so close, so near you, it'll be like he can wipe away the tears from your eyes and there'll be endless fellowship. And there's going to be a reunion one day when God's children come together and they'll come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south and they'll sit down in the kingdom of Abraham and never separate again. Don't you miss out on that big show when it takes place over there. I was six years old when my brother left home for the last time. He went away to war. I was small, but I can remember that night just like it was last night because my parents were so shaken by his, his departure. I found out not long ago that one of his friends, who is now pastor at Chickasha, was standing on the front steps of the First Baptist Church in Monday, Texas, the Monday before my brother left on Thursday, and heard him say, I've got a one-way ticket to Europe, and I won't come back. I'm going to see him one of these days. My father died eight years ago. When he was in the hospital at the point of death, his, my, my uncle died, Uncle Hoyt. They didn't tell my, my daddy that, that Uncle Hoyt died because they were, they, were, they were afraid he wouldn't be able to stand the shock. Two days later, my father died. You know what I thought? The first thing I thought of when I heard that, that uh, Daddy died, I thought, won't he be surprised when he gets to heaven and he sees Uncle Hoyt there? Will we know each other? Of course we will. We won't know any less there than we know here. There'll be that same uniqueness and difference that's about each of us, and we'll know one another there. We're going to come together in that great reunion, and there'll be no parting. B.H. Carroll was riding across the country on a train. He had long chin whiskers, went, came way down to his waist. And he was sitting there riding along back, back in the first part of this century and a lady was sitting across the car from him and she's just staring at him. She just knew she ought to know him. Finally, she got up enough nerve and she said, pardon me, sir, but are you Moses? And, and he, he looked back at her and he said, no, ma'am, but he's a personal friend of mine and I'm going to see him one of these days. And I am too. I'm going to talk to him about the time he took that rod and parted the water and went across on dry land. And I'm going to see old Elijah and I'm going to ask him about the day Jezebel got after him. I'm going to tell him about the few Jezebels that had gotten after me and my ministry. And I'm going to see Martin Luther there. Charles Howard said, first thing I'm going to ask Martin Luther is, when you became a Protestant, why didn't you go all the way and become a Baptist? I'm going to ask him that. We're going to get together. They're coming from the east and from the west and from the north and the south into the kingdom of God and we'll never be separated. Don't miss out on that big show when it takes place over there. Heaven is a place where Jesus is. I'm not sure that there are 12 gates for sure, literally, I'm not sure that the streets are literal gold. I don't think that matters that much. The important thing, it's the place where Jesus is. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will doubtless come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may you be also. That's all that really matters. John Jasper, perhaps the greatest preacher, black preacher that's ever lived, said, so when I get to heaven, St. Peter's going to say, John, don't you want to come in here and see your daddy? Yes, not now, though. He said, don't you want to, do you want to come and see your mother? 
who went down into the valley and gave you birth. He said, yes, I want to see my mother, but not now. Well, what do you want to see first? He said, just take me into the throne room. I want to spend the first million years just looking at my Jesus. Someday the silver card will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I awake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. I was pastoring out in West Texas in a little town called Macaulay. A little boy, eight years old, died of leukemia. He was on the front page of the Abilene Reporter News, and he, you know, it's one of those stories, and the family was kind of poor, and a lot of money was sent in. It was a kind of a special kind of a story. When the little boy died, I went to see his mother. She was not a member of our church. They were a member of another denomination. Not an, not an emotional group either, by the way. Just I went and talked to her one day after his death. She said, Brother Tidwell, let me tell you the most precious thing that happened. She said, just before he died, he'd been having fever and delirium, and he was wild and seeing things. But she said, just before he died, he just calmed down, got just as calm as I am right now, and said to me, Mother, I'm standing in this river of water. And over on the other side is a man dressed in white clothes, playing with little children. And he's asked me if I want to come over play a while. And he died. Charles Howard, the great teacher in Bowie's Creek in North Carolina, said that he was raised by his grandmommy. His parents died. And he was raised in a little log cabin up in the mountains of North Carolina back at the first part of the 1900s, Charlie Howard said that his mother was, his grandmother was bitten by a rabid dog and she died a horrible death. He said she was lying on a corn husk mattress and she would froth at the mouth and bark like the dog that bit her. And he said on the day she died, the chimes were ringing in the little town. And she called all of us in, all of the children she'd raised, and told the children what she wanted of them, what she expected. Then he said she kind of raised up on that corn husk mattress, and he said, I thought she was going to bark and growl again. And he said, I didn't want to see it. But says she has lifted up her hands toward those exposed beams in that log cabin and cried, Jesus! And she was gone. When my life's work is ended and I cross the narrow sea, that bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I cross the other side and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him, as redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, 
I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hands. Finally, heaven is home. No place like that, and so we come together today as our family. You're here with your mother. Those of you who have mothers living, it's good to be together as a family. There's no place like home. At Christmas time, you know what we like to do? We like to ride around and look at the Christmas lights and just imagine what's going on on the inside of those walls. And we kind of talk about that. I don't mind five o'clock traffic in the city to you. That means thousands of people are going home. I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a golden strand. Oh, they tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. I am a poor wayfaring stranger just traveling through this world below. There is no sickness, toil, or danger to that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my Father. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm going over home. I'll soon be free of every trial. This farm will rest beneath the sod. And I'll drop the cross of self-denial and enter in to home with God. I'm going there to meet my Savior who shed for me His precious blood. I'm going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. Now you're interested in another world, aren't you? Man would be a fool if he didn't prepare himself for heaven. And I want to invite you to consider this today, my friend. I want to invite you to consider that there is no way to heaven apart from your faith in and your trust of Jesus Christ. Don't you want to know that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? You can know by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can know. And don't you want to know this? Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to be a part of that which makes this earth a little more like heaven to work to bring the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven?
that maybe you need because you're a parent, because you're a mother, a father, you need to make those decisions this morning that, make your, that would make your home a little more like heaven and your relationship a little more like heaven. Maybe you'd like to have a church home where you can fellowship with these sweet people that go to church here, live here, till you get to heaven where you'll see them again. Would you like to make provision this morning? Would you join me in prayer? I'll ask you in a moment after we've prayed all over this congregation to get up out of your seat. Come trusting yourself to Jesus Christ. Come accepting Him as your Savior. If you're already a Christian, I'll ask you to come without reservation, I ask, to rededicate yourself to Christ, to join this church, to dedicate your home, to bring about happiness, joy, heaven on earth. Would you do it? Father, I thank you that Jesus right now is making all things new. And that there is a different place, a different world beyond this. We'll see our loved ones. We'll fellowship with them again. We'll praise you and sing and worship. We'll have you among us and dwelling with us wiping away all the tears, never to cry again. Now I thank you, Father, that that provision, that entrance into heaven, the key that unlocks the doors, faith in Jesus Christ and that only. I pray that each of us this morning who is not sure that he's been saved, that he's a Christian, will come now trusting Christ. I pray for a decision of any kind that you'd lead us to make, that you'd lead us to make. In Jesus' name. Now in a spirit of prayer,